Hey guys, what is going on? We are in the zone. This is episode 208 today. I'm here as always with Giancarlo Alino. And tonight, man, is going to be a very, very interesting night in WWE. We got the Elimination Chamber. It's in Montreal. It's the first pay-per-view here in a very, very long... I think the last one was Breaking Point in like 2009, a long, long time ago, 14 years in the making. There's a guy, Alino, from Montreal who's main eventing the show. We'll get into that in a little bit, but to start it off, I'm going to look here at the, it's the mixed tag team match. We got Edge and Beth Phoenix taking on Judgment Day's Rayo Ripley and Finn Balor. Now, I don't know what it is with this build. I think it's been way too long. It's been about four or five months. Finn Balor's, I said to you all, you know, Finn Balor's the type of guy under Triple H, this guy could probably main event a pay-per-view out of nowhere. We all know that. But in this case, Ray Ripley just won the Royal Rumble. Do you have this team winning? Or do you think the veterans are going to get the job done here in uh, in their hometown of Canada? Yeah, I think this is going to be something where they uh, make the crowd happy because there might be disappointment later on. I think <laughs> Edge and Beth Phoenix are going to get the win here. I think there's going to be a lot of interference. Like I think uh, Dominic... He's going to show up here. I'm surprised he can since he just did hard time. So getting to the border might be a little tough for Dom Dom, but I think he's going to make an appearance. I think Ray, this is where they're going to plant the seed for WrestleMania. And uh, I see Edge getting the win over Finn. I think they'll protect Ray here because they have that contract signing on Friday with Charlotte. So I got Edge and uh, Beth Phoenix winning and going on to have Edge and Finn again at WrestleMania. Yeah, you know what? I mean, last year we saw Edge and AJ, which was pretty damn solid, not going to lie. I mean, a lot of people expected it to be the match of the night, and it wasn't. But again, you had Cody and Seth Rollins. So th that match last year was the best, I think, of the weekend. If not that, it was Bianca and uh, – uh, was it Bianca Becky? Yep, I think yeah. that was that was the match of the night for me. But here we got, you know, Ray Ripley just winning the Rumble. I think you can go two ways here, Alino. You have the fan favorites win it just to, again, please the crowd like you mentioned. Or you have Ray Ripley just look absolutely dominant and pin Beth Phoenix setting up her arguable crowning moment at WrestleMania when she takes on Charlotte and probably dethrones her for the title. Now, again, I say probably. I don't say for sure because it's Charlotte Flair. You never know. She could definitely retain, but... The way that they built Rhea Ripley the last five months is just perfection. I remember she got hurt last June. She couldn't wrestle for a while. So I think the build here, going for manager, you know, she's still on TV, not wrestling. She did a tremendous job. And kudos to kudos to WWE for really building Rhea Ripley. Because Alina, remember two, three years ago when we had Rhea Charlotte, that was almost her crowning moment. It got snatched away from her, and she kind of disappeared for a while. So... I hope they learn their lesson here. Rhea Ripley's going to have an awesome showing, not only in this pay-per-view, but I think at WrestleMania as well. I'm going to go here with, I'm going to go with the other side, Ali. You know, I think Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley take this. I think Rhea, like, I think they just got to make her look really strong going into WrestleMania. I got Rhea Ripley getting the pinfall here over Beth Phoenix. But uh, the next match we have here, we're going to go to the Elimination Chamber for the United States title. This, to me, is going to be very exciting. Now, you know, the only reason why is because we have two guys specifically in this match that I have never really seen uh, consistently um, in these spots. Montez Ford, 
a really good tag team guy, finally going to get a singles title opportunity. I said this, what, two years ago? Remember when Jay Uso was in the chamber and he shined? I think this is going to be a similar spot here where Montez Ford, even though he's probably not going to win the match, I think he's going to be a guy where everybody's going to look back at this match and say this was the this was the uh, the performance that really put Montez Ford over the top. So I think Montez Ford is probably going to be the MVP in this match. I think he's going to maybe even get an elimination or two. But I think everybody in this match, it's it's all evenly matched. I love the challengers. I'll, you know, at the end of the day, all eyes are on Austin Theory, A-Town. Do you see him retaining the United States title? The more I think about it, it would make sense for a guy like Seth to win it or even Montez Ford if they want to do the surprise there. I know that Seth Rollins and Logan Paul seem to be a lock for WrestleMania. And then just looking at this match here, I don't think Bronson Reed is connecting yet with this character with the crowd. I think they're all going to gang up on him and eliminate him. That's my uh, (laughs) prediction for him. I think he's going to go in attack everybody he's gonna look like a monster for a good like three minutes and then the other guys are just gonna hit their finisher on him and get him out to make him look strong but i think johnny gargano and uh, austin theory will be the final two and i got austin theory sneaking out a win there and then john cena coming out on raw to challenge him for wrestlemania i like it i i think honestly you have like four competitors here that can win it which to me is always exciting. I think Bronson Reed, you said it perfectly. I think they're going to give him the Mark Henry treatment here. He's going to go out, dominate for like five minutes, and then you're going to see the curb stomp, uh, Theory's finisher. You're going to see them all hit it at once, and then probably end it with Ford with the frog splash. So I think at this point in time, you said it perfectly. Bronson Reed is a guy where you always need that one big, big guy in the chamber just to kind of have that domination spot. It's kind of the traditional spot in the chamber. But here, here's another guy, Alino, where Damian Priest, I don't want to say he's going to get the Baron Corbin treatment, but this is a guy where he's been borderline for so long. He's held that U.S. title before. He had a pretty impressive run with it a couple of years. I think it was two years ago or last year. I just don't see him being a big factor here, and it sucks because he's with the Judgment Day. Um, I think it would have been a little more intriguing if you saw Dominic Mysterio in this match. I think he could have built in maybe a little more of a high-flying match. But in this case, you said I think Seth Rollins is a guy where he comes up short. I think Logan Paul might come in this match. I got Johnny Gargano winning it just because I think the fans really don't know what Triple H has, what his plans are for Gargano. I think it's more of a, like you said, you 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 saw Montez Ford being the surprise. I think Gargano would be just as big of a surprise winning this match. So I think Theory and Cena is big enough to be a singles match. It doesn't really hurt, um, you know, either superstar. Again, you could still have the title on Theory uh, and have Cena come up short at WrestleMania. Regardless, I see Theory beating him because Cena does like putting talent over. But I do want to see Gargano hold the United States title, and I want to see him have a meaningful run because he's been up for a while now, and, I think they got to start doing something with him. Do you think Ciampa could come back and cost uh, Gargano here? Then that could be like a swerve because he's been old, I think, for a year since he had the surgery. Might add up to like the timeline. I think that would be the first feud. Do you think they'll keep him apart for a bit? Hey, if if you really want to go all in for WrestleMania, you do Gargano versus Ciampa for sure. That's a match that every internet fan 
it's been a match that's been built to finally go at a WrestleMania for how long? You know, four, five, maybe six years. It's been a long time. So the build would be perfect. Um, we're still waiting on that Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens singles match at WrestleMania. So I think that's kind of similar. Maybe it'll be for next year. We have no idea, but Alina, you know, if that were to happen, I think that would definitely take a lot of momentum off of other feuds. I don't know if they want to do that at the moment, but Gargano, regardless, let's say he wins the U.S. title here, you put him in a singles match at Mania, it should be a pretty good match regardless. So, you know, you're relying on Theory, you're relying on Gargano, Rollins specifically. I think those are the top three here. And then, of course, you have the Montez Ford, who still in a tag team but could be a superstar singles guy. I think regardless, Alino, this is a good spot for WWE. I like the way how they're finally putting the U.S. title in the chamber. It's different, something we've never really seen. I think the last mid-card title, what was it, Ryback? <laughs> when Biggie or Ryback won the Intercontinental title. So it's good to see change here. Um, so I'm happy for that. But I got Johnny Gargano winning the, the United States title here. Next match we got is your two boys. Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar going at it here. But, hey, we saw something interesting last night where, out of nowhere, Bray Wyatt's like, I got nothing to do at WrestleMania. We talked about it last week on the show. What is Bray Wyatt doing at WrestleMania? Looks like he just answered our question. He said the winner of Bobby and Brock, he has his eyes on for WrestleMania. I'll lean on. I said Bobby Lashley would win this. It looks like now it might be Brock Lesnar getting the win here. And potentially taking on Bray Wyatt. Do you see this being the case? Man, that was a huge throw off. Like, I was not expecting uh, Bray to just come out with Uncle Howdy and say, oh, yeah, the winner of this, he has his eye on for WrestleMania. I thought that was uh, a little out there, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's why they're kind of bringing everybody in the Hurt Business back together. Like, they have uh, MVP slowly aligning with the other guys. Uh, we have Omas still has to like really go with Bobby Lashley again, even though they had that match last year. And Bobby's kind of a heel in this whole uh, buildup with Brock. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do go that route. But if they do do it, that leaves Brock available. I wouldn't be surprised if he jumps to SmackDown and go after the Intercontinental Champion Gunther and Sheamus and Drew and they make that a fatal four-way at WrestleMania. I think that could steal the show and you can give the Hurt Business and the Wyatt Six and other match if you could get uh, Eric Rowan in the fold. So I think this could actually lead to something positive. And that means if this is a blow-off match, I think fans are going to be in for something there as uh, the good Canadian kid, Brock Lesnar, steals the show with Bobby. Holy crap. I can't believe you just put that all together. Like if, if Brock were to lose this match, you have Bobby Lashley take on Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. First, at first glance, Alino, that doesn't sound too good. That's just my opinion. Bobby versus Bray Wyatt sounds like something that is just thrown together. Not necessarily, I mean, Bobby, again, he's improved on the mic, but MVP would probably have to carry it with Bray Wyatt, kind of like what LA Knight did, just the back and forth. But you, what you just said with Brock Lesnar just completely threw me off. You have Brock Lesnar going up against Gunther, Drew, and Sheamus at WrestleMania. I don't give a shit about the main event. Make that the main event because Gunther has well-deserved that opportunity to have a WrestleMania match with Brock Lesnar. I'm all in for that. Alino, you know, I'm I'm as white as white comes. I'm a Sheamus guy, always have been. 
And then, of course, you got Drew McIntyre, who beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania for the title. So that would be a few that would just, I think that would elevate the card completely. That might be one of the best fatal four-way matches I've heard. So if they do this, Alino, I got to give you, like, I don't know what I got to do. I got to call Vince McMahon up, Triple H, say, get this guy on the creative team. That is absolutely absurd. I think Bobby Lashley would be the guy here that would benefit. But here's my question to you, Alino. Let's say that all happens. Is Gunther retaining, or would you have a guy like Brock Lesnar win the Intercontinental title? And, hey, would Bobby Lashley actually beat Bray Wyatt at this point? I think it would be it would add a lot of unpredictability because Sheamus, the whole story with him was he never won the Intercontinental title. And if you throw Brock in the mix, he's never won it. Drew, you can uh him and Brock never had the match in front of a crowd at WrestleMania. And then you have Gunther, who's this guy they brought up and they really have high hopes for. So that would actually not surprise me if they wanted to make the Intercontinental title meaningful, put that the main event of night one. It might piss a lot of people off who <laughs> Like think the women's match should, but oh yeah, that could also start night two, and you can start off with that, like they did uh, with Drew versus Bobby. So I wouldn't put it past him if that ended up being the main event of night one, because we saw last year Austin came back and he was a main event of night one. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went that route, but I think Bobby could uh, benefit a little bit. We can see a different side of him if him and Bray go at it, maybe a cinematic type of thing. Maybe Bobby Lashley can do something with Bray and their styles could uh, make some sort of uh, positive of a match. I know it won't be like the LA Knight one, which the buildup was a lot better than a match, but maybe Bobby can uh, bounce off Bray a lot better. So I'll be positive on that for now. It could be really bad, though. <laughs> yeah, in regards to tonight's match, I got to go with Brock Lesnar winning this. I just think... Uh... Like, again, if, like, let's say Lashley does win this and then he faces Bray. I mean, to me, I still think the the match that makes the most sense for Mania is Brock versus Bobby. Like, you could do, like, a Hell in a Cell, like, just the final chapter there. I just think these guys have been linked, you know, for quite some time. Remember last year, you know, Brock ended up uh, losing his WWE title to Bobby Lashley because of Roman Reigns. But still, Lashley got the win over him. He doesn't forget that. Bobby's the guy that eliminated Brock in the Rumble. So I think at some point in time, Brock, like we always say, he avenges his losses. I think this is where Brock Lesnar can do it. But, hey, if Bobby wins this, I'll actually be surprised if if he gets the win here. But uh, we got to move on here. We got the women's elimination chamber, the number one contender to see who will face Bianca Belair at WrestleMania. Now, we saw on Raw, Alino, they're really pushing Asuka, and I'm so happy for her. This is a, a woman, finally, we, she's had her fair share of injuries. You know, Raquel is another name in this match that I absolutely love. They kind of built her as well in the Rumble. Uh, she lasted quite a while. Natalia's only there because we all know why, because it's in, it's in Montreal. But it's refreshing, man. You have Carmella, who's also come back. Nikki Cross is another one that she does have a little bit of momentum. Liv Morgan, to me, I think I would love to see her win this match. I don't see her doing it, but I see her being in the final with Asuka. I got Asuka winning this, Alino. I think it's too good to be true after the build that they did at the Rumble, the build they've done on Raw, where she comes up short here. So I think it's going to be a home run regardless. You have Asuka versus Bianca Belair. I think that's what's happening. I'm not going to say it's predictable, but 
What are your thoughts on this match? Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, even last night, they kind of teased something there with uh, Asuka, Liv, and that they might be the final two. So I see it playing out like that. Maybe they're going to have uh, fans think that there's going to be an underdog moment, kind of like at the Royal Rumble, and then she comes up short there. So I think this could be a low-key like match that is going to exceed all expectations. Like A lot of people in this match have a lot to gain. I think everybody can gain and have a different program out of this. Even Natalia, who is just in the match because it's in Canada and hasn't been on TV up until uh, Royal Rumble. So maybe they can have something where it leads to a tag team title chase for anybody in this, but I got Oscar winning. I think that's the right call that they have to do here. Yeah, I, I like it too. I mean, I said to you, I think it was like four or five months ago when Liv was a champ, like, the 180 that she's done as a professional is incredible. This was someone three years ago. She was the first girl eliminated. She was the quickest eliminated in the Rumble. And I guess she went backstage, maybe had a few words, talked about what I could improve on. And all of a sudden, Liv Morgan is one of the best, in my opinion, Alino. Like, the fans are always behind her, whether she's a heel or a face. We've seen that she's teased it on SmackDown numerous times, but... The adoration that she gets from fans immediately she goes back to being that top underdog baby face the the narrative with oscar and rhea ripley at the rumble i said it to you two weeks ago when we covered it it was one of the best endings to any of the female rumbles uh, out of all of them i think that one like yeah you know the match all in all was a little disappointing especially with nia Jax going out of 30 but the final three with rhea Liv, and oscar was to me perfection and i think here you arguably have Raquel, who, again, like I've said to you, it's a newcomer. It's someone that she's really, dude, she's strong as hell. She can definitely be someone that she doesn't have the build of a Mark Henry, but she can definitely, you know, she needs the numbers. She's, there's, there has to be at least three women to knock her down to eliminate her. So I think we're going to see Raquel be the Mark Henry in this match. I think Nikki Cross might even go through one of the bear, like one of the freaking pods because she's psychotic Liv morgan's another one i wouldn't be surprised if she gets on top and does like a springboard on the three of them so i think there are going to be high flying spots on lino here i think oscar is the right way to win i think she's also going to win with the insiguri and the green mist just like tajiri back in 2002 i think that's just the way to go oscar bianca would be I mean, you got to like those two singles matches, Alino. That's incredible. Uh, you have uh, Rhea Ripley and Charlotte and Oscar Bianca. Damn, that's going to be unbelievable. I agree with you. First one on the day that we both agree, Oscar, to win this one. And I think that, like you said, I, I think this is going to exceed expectations. Maybe not be better than the U.S., but it's going to be a good match regardless. And then we got the main event. We got Sami Zayn. The Canadian boy, the guy that everybody has gotten behind. Alino, you know, me and you, we changed our Rumble picks for Sami Zayn to win it. Guy's not even in the Rumble. But here he has his opportunity. At the end of the Rumble, he turned on Roman Reigns. We all know the story there. What do you think happens in this one? We saw the bill. Dude, the last two Raws with Paul Heyman, with Cody Rhodes being involved with Sami Zayn. Do you think this is just a tease or do you think we could potentially see a triple threat match come WrestleMania. Man, this is, they could do it. They can have a huge moment if they do that. Just imagine the pop there in Montreal if that happens. But I hope that whatever they end up doing in the main event is planned and well in advance. And uh, 
it's a positive outcome for everyone involved because Sami Zayn's run uh, proved that you shouldn't book the Royal Rumble around an injury return. Sami Zayn should have won it if The Rock wasn't in it. Sami Zayn was the one that should have won because of the story that's been going on for the whole year. It's perfect moment for that type of match. So this is his WrestleMania here. And I think because of the way that Roman and uh, Cody haven't really had an interaction, I do think that the Usos are going to cost uh, Sami. I think Jey Uso is going to super kick him. Roman's going to cover them and they get out with maybe a few people throwing some stuff at them. And uh, that's how they end the show. So I think it's going to end like that. Sammy's going to get a huge pop though. He deserves it. But uh, I think there's going to be a negative ending here for uh, the chamber. Yeah. It's unfortunate too, because again, you don't really know the storytelling. I mean, the whole year, the last six, seven months that he's been with the bloodline perfection Nothing really wrong with it. And you said it perfectly. You can't build it off of an injury for the Rumble. We've seen it so many times. I mean, luckily back in 08 when Cena came back, there really was no one that was hot, hot, hot like Sami Zayn was. But, you know, we've seen it in the past now. You know, like back then they didn't really want to push the guy that was hot. Like what we saw 2015 Royal Rumble, Daniel Bryan got eliminated early. The fans boycotted the whole match after that. So there are times where, the superstar that we want to see win just doesn't win and it backfires. And the last two, they've actually had to change plans. Daniel Bryan back in 2014 and Kofi Kingston in 2019. So I think here, I'm not going to say Jay Uso coming in, super kicking Sami Zayn. I don't think that's a, like, it is a more of a disappointing result, but the storytelling makes the most sense here. Like Jay Uso is a guy where, he feuded with Roman Reigns. He was a sub-main eventer back in 2020. And then all of a sudden, Sami Zayn in 2020, mind you, this is going to sound hilarious. You know, he was feuding with Daniel Bryan for the Intercontinental title. But now, finally, he gets his opportunity. He gets his moment. It's in Montreal. It seems too good to be true for me that Sami Zayn comes out of here winning. And again, you said it perfectly. It will end in a negative. They put themselves in a corner here. Yes, Roman Reigns, regardless, he's over. Everybody loves him. They cheer him. They throw their their number one. They throw him up in the air. Like, he's over. But at the end of the day, specifically tonight, he's not going to be over. This is going to be a CM Punk Chicago type of reaction once Sami Zayn loses. And, dude, if Roman Reigns' run was at 300 days, yeah, I could see Sami Zayn winning it. But the fact that it's at 900 days hasn't been pinned in, what, two and a half years you, like you guys got to get it out of your head that Sammy's winning here. I would love to see it happen. Maybe there's a screwy finish. Maybe it ends in a DQ and we get the triple threat at WrestleMania. But at the end of the day, it does all come back down to the Usos. We're probably going to see Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn take on the Usos at WrestleMania, like you said, all those months ago. So I think uh, Roman Reigns wins here in a very, I think it's going to be a phenomenal match. But I think the end of it would definitely be underwhelming. So do fans really want to see Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania? I mean, I do want to see it just based off of what we saw with Seth last year. But I don't know how the crowd's going to react, honestly, if Cody does beat Roman Reigns. It's going to be one of those things where the finish is going to be really important. Because if it's like something dumb where he just hits him with one spear and it's over... I think the main event will be boycotted in a way like Cody's going to have a little bit of resentment, even though he won't be a full 
on booing like he had in AEW, I think he will start seeing fans uh, get a little upset during his promos. Uh, yeah, and again, like the, to me, I don't want to say this is the Batista. Um, like remember when Batista won it and, and or he didn't win it, but he came back, and it's like, yeah, Batista was slated to win the Rumble. They changed their play. Well, no, he did win the Rumble, and then he didn't win the main event at WrestleMania. Alino, can you see it being more like that, where Cody comes back, he's the face, wins the Rumble, and then someone else just steals the spotlight? Because if it were to be someone, and let's say, again, Jey Uso doesn't come out, and Roman just wins maybe DQ, some screwy finish, you could definitely have Sami Zayn win the the Universal title at WrestleMania. I think Triple H would be open to it. But can you see a Cody Rhodes being accepting of what Dave Batista went through in 2014. I don't think so. And I think because of AEW, I think WWE is going to look at, you know what, let's give Cody the title. Let's make him look as strong as possible and then show some of those other AEW EVPs that might be a little restless in the future, like Kenny Omega, that, you know what, if I do go to WWE, I'll be treated like a, a main event player. So, I think because of the current uh, contracts of some of the top guys on AEW, this might be a sign to them that, you know what, Cody can come back and win a title, and they'll treat those guys like main eventers if they do the same. So I got Roman winning this and dropping the title to Cody. You know, man, like I'm a fan of Cody. I always have been. His last couple promos on Raw have been very passionate and you know, the whole story is he's going to win it for his, his you know, Dusty Rose, his great late father. But, I mean, like, the more that I think about the build, Alino, and it's not really organic. It's something where he came back. We knew he was coming back. We knew he was winning the Royal Rumble. It wasn't something where, it, like, if Sami Zayn were to win the Universal title, yeah, he kind of has no business being the guy to dethrone Roman and end his run. But it's organic. It's it's happened naturally, and Roman has always said this. I remember watching this interview. You know, this was like five, six years ago. He said he wanted to always work with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, and he's finally gotten his wish here. And Sami Zayn being a guy to dethrone Roman Reigns. If you told me this a year ago, I would have laughed. But now, just everything is behind him. Now you could always look at history and say, do they really want to do it for the third time? They did it with Kofi Kingston. They did it with Daniel Bryan. It worked out tremendously, but Hey, they didn't have a run like that ever again. I think Cody Rhodes, man, I love the guy. I think he is a main event star, but they put themselves in a corner here. I don't think he's the right guy at this very moment to dethrone Roman. I think it is Sammy, but unfortunately it looks like we are going to see Cody Rhodes win the universal title and alino i hate to say this i think as soon as he wins it we might be in for a heel turn the next night on raw and i think they also backed themselves in a corner last year when they combined the titles i think it was a dumb idea to begin with and now they're seeing that you know what maybe if we had two world titles we could add cody go after one and have that same impact and get the pop and could have had roman with the other but this is why they should have not on the Universal and WWE title match last year. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but hey, it's must-see, man. It's Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns. They have to do it. So uh, either way, though, I'm excited for tonight. I hope it's not a Debbie Downer, the last two, three minutes of the pay-per-view. I hope it really is, um, 
you know, a really, really big, big moment for both guys. I think Sami Zayn, though, will come out as the MVP of this pay-per-view. But Alino, I think a guy that we do have to watch out for tonight, specifically Bray Wyatt's a guy we got to watch out for. And I think a guy like an Austin Theory and a Johnny Gargano and even a Montez Ford. I think those three guys tonight really going to have something to prove for the longevity of their legacy in WWE. But now we got to move on. We got to move on to what the NBA I guess we'll talk a little bit more about all-star weekend you know we got we saw the rising stars yesterday and we saw another guy my boy Mike the Miz celebrity (laughs) game I don't know like is somebody gonna sign this guy to an NBA contract the guy hits a buzzer beater and guess what Alino typical Miz fashion remember his conspiracy character back in 2011 doesn't count why would it count it's the Miz so what were your thoughts on that celebrity? I know the celebrity games are not necessarily like they're not the greatest games, but in terms of yesterday, man, like the Miz and DK Metcalf, it was a pretty marketable performance for both of them. Yeah. When I saw the Miz drain that, I'm like, no way. Like, what did I just see here? He drained that three, like Steph Curry had half court. Then it didn't count, but it was a nice moment. It shows that, you know what, these celebrity games, something like that can happen. And, I just think like I would look to see more of alumni in there, like maybe mixing the celebrities with like top alumni legends that while they can still play, like they're all in their 60s now, like maybe get one early 50s that can still go and have a nice performance. Maybe get some big three guys that are top end players that can have a nice little showcase there for their league. But I liked it. It's good that it's on the Friday night. So doesn't take too much attention away from the weekend it's its own event and i think they the nhl if there's something they can get i don't know fun would be something that they can add to their uh all-star weekend but i think the nba did that uh fairly well on friday night yeah man i think uh, the nba when it comes to all-star weekend the nhl has to take notes because uh they absolutely blow them out of the water every time now I want to quickly talk more about the official All-Star game. I know we they, you know they have the three-point contest, the dunk contest today, the skills competition all that, but I'll, you know a lot of injuries this year. Steph Curry will not be in it, Kevin Durant won't be in it, uh, Zion won't be in it this year. Do you think this hampers the fan voting? Do you think they should keep fan voting or do you think they should at this point in time just look at stats, maybe go to the NBA execs? and just pick the best players of the year because time after time, there are guys that are getting snubbed like no tomorrow. Like, to me, Siakam was a guy that should have been in it. Joel Embiid should have been starting from the start. And a guy like Gilgis Alexander, he's only in it now because Curry's injured. What do you think about the fan voting system, and what do you think about a lot of these stars just missing it all? Like, Because, dude, I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant has not been in an All-Star game in, like, six years. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Like, I know they keep the fan voting just to have, like, fans involved in it and really have the All-Star Weekend be around who the players, who the fans want to see in there. But I think they're just going to keep doing it. Maybe change the voting process, like do stage one, like, point guards and not wrap everybody into the forward category because I think we're seeing centers now, like, unfairly get taken out of it just because – they're not that flashy player, like the traditional center, like a Jokic and Embiid. They'll probably be in there all the time, but the other centers, I think, lose out on it. And just because of the position they play, like the point forwards come in and you see small forwards get 
uh, in there as a center, which makes no sense. So I like to see them maybe change that a bit and make it more competitive for those small forwards to get that position, a shooting guard and a point guard, maybe put them in just a guard category where they'll show them, you know what, we have to like step it up during the year, not take the load management days off and actually play. So I think they'll keep fan voting just for the starters, but in terms of the other ones, like I agree, like Siakam, he's been an all NBA guy all year. Just the way he's been playing consistently and really stepped it up compared to last year when he was a third team all NBA. So I think uh, he should have been there from the start. I think that was a little disappointing and a snub from the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about it in the NHL for the uh, all-star weekend. They, you know, they have the, the, the divisions here. It's not, it is East and West, but it's not East and West. Like they're drafting their players and they're going to teams. Do you think they just should go back to traditional East versus West? Because, you know, obviously in the in the NBA, it's a little different. The West is way better than the East at this point. But I think you could showcase the best of the best in both conferences. I think it, it only benefits, like, for example, Alino, Jalen Brunson, if they did an East versus West, he would be a guy that would definitely get, you know, exposed as a potential superstar. He's a guy that he went to the Knicks, got, you know, when he signed, people were saying it was a little too much money, but he's backed it up. He's been phenomenal. And another guy that I think would definitely benefit for the East and West is Drew Holiday. This is a guy that just year after year, he's one of the best defensive guards in the league. But what we ha- we people just don't understand how great offensively he can be as well. He can get 22 points a game, second, third fiddle behind Giannis. Obviously, you're not going to get the attention. So there's a lot of players in the Eastern Conference. If it was East versus West, they would get a lot more recognition. I think they got to go back to the East versus West, even though the West right now is just, it's a, they're, they're just all superstars in the Western conference. Yeah. I think the only thing I don't like about the draft is like, they're trying to make sure nobody gets their ego hurt and their feelings hurt. Like they want to avoid the last pick thing, which is dumb. Like what's the point of going into the draft format? Like they're all all stars. So shouldn't really affect anything. It's for fun. It's not like a legitimate, we're building a team around you to win a championship. It's just, like a pickup game basically and they're changing it to where the starters are going to get picked last so the guys that you already know are starting they're going to go by the position which i think is dumb if you're going to do that don't do it maybe have an executive they really want to spice this up get one executive to pick one team and one executive pick another like let's say you want to go the road of having a legend maybe do magic johnson on one side michael jordan on the other and see what they really think of today's uh, NBA players and who they would pick first. I think if they want to go in the draft route and not really have mm-hmm. the Legends game, maybe have those two involved. And I think you will uh, see a little bit more fire in these guys come the next night when they actually play. That would be freaking wild. Imagine MJ drafting you and you don't play well. What the <laughs> hell is going to happen after that? You're going to get a water bottle thrown at you. You're going to... He's going to call your actual manager and your owner and be like, hey, uh, this guy's not good. He should not be in the NBA. Like, you should just drop him. So I think if if a guy like Magic Johnson or MJ is drafting you, that should just motivate the shit out of you to play well. And, again, we talk about quality performances in, in uh, all-star games. Like, if you look at the NHL, like, God, they don't give a shit. They don't try. They're doing – toe drags every other play whereas you look at the nba the last couple of years since kobe passed and they changed that rule the fourth quarter alino have been phenomenal like it's been unbelievable basketball 
I think they need to start doing that for each quarter. Maybe you have like a a score limit in each quarter and you go all out here. I, I know there's a the whole injury thing, you know, you can get injured and there's that risk, but it's the game of basketball. You're playing the best of the best. Don't you want to actually be putting up a meaningful stat line? I know Anthony Davis back in like 17 put up like 58 points, but how many of those points were actually – you know, legit points. He was literally just chucking up threes, getting open dunks. At this point in time, Alino, I know it's the All-Star weekend. Everyone's there to relax and have fun. But when push comes to shove, a lot of these guys are competitive as hell. So I think they need to do a score limit every single quarter. I think that would just make this All-Star game one of the best, if not the best already. And can you imagine if they went with, like, the legends, like, picking their teams? If they pick two people that you know hate each other, just to really add to the competitiveness, like Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan, like, you know, they'll add something and they'll actually want to win. Like, you know, they'll talk shit like off uh, air and stuff and say like, my team's going to, I'm going to pick a team. Let's put something, uh, a wager on it. Cause Michael Jordan, he likes to throw some money down once in a while. So (laughs) I think if they do something like that and then another, you can do maybe Shaq and, Maybe a player he's not too uh, crazy about or that he has an ongoing debate with. I think that's what they have to do. I think it would go away from maybe having some of these guys' feelings hurt and their ego. Maybe they could check it at the door better instead of having them pick amongst each other. They have a veteran who has uh, more motivation in this to really prove that they're a better coach and a better selection of talent than the other. I think it might make it more interesting. I agree, man. I think, you know, can you imagine the first pick, Kevin Durant on one side, LeBron James on the other, and then you go from there. Then you could have Curry on one side, Damian Lillard on the other. You just, it's basically going toe to toe. You're matching what they're drafting. So if it was, let's say, Shaq and Charles Barkley, because we know, again, ESPN, they're marketable, they're on TV all the time. Can you imagine those two are the captains? I could already see it. Charles Barkley would definitely take Giannis. And Shaq would take LeBron. And then you have KD on one and then Curry on the other. And they would just keep being in competition with each other. I think that's a great take, Alino, having like IT, MJ, MJ, Magic, Bird, Magic, just any of the legends that have just hated each other for years and just gone toe-to-toe constantly. I think that would make an interesting, not only draft process, but the game would be, holy crap, it'd be heated. It'd be phenomenal. So... We definitely got to pitch that idea to NBA. I think it's definitely an unreal uh, unreal pitch. I would love to see that. Just seeing MJ, especially after they win, he'd have a couple of drinks, probably go to the casino, have a cigar or two. I think it would be awesome to see. So, And, again, a lot of guys like to hone their skills off of MJ. You know, you see DeMar DeRozan, one of the best fadeaway guys in the game, going up and dabbing MJ after the game, a bull to another bull. That'd be pretty special. So, I think regardless, Alino, it would make the All-Star game that much better. But I want to end the NBA with, you know, we got the three-point contest. We got Damian Lillard. We got Tatum. We got Markinen. And I think the other guy's Julius Randle. Who do you think is winning this one? I think it's a cakewalk. I got to go with my buddy Dame Dollar getting the win here. He's been on a tear lately. Yeah, I agree. I think he has to win this now just because you look at the field there. Like Randle, it's a nice story. He might get hot in some areas, but I just think consistency-wise and Damian Lillard at the rate he scores, he's so used to like getting shots like that so close and 
just catch and shoot type. So he's just picking off the rack and shooting. I think he's used to this more, this style, and he's been in a few of these. So I think uh, experience wise, I got uh, Damian Lillard winning it. Steph Curry, though, we got to get him back in this uh, next year. So I think he's going to take that crown back, but I think he's going to say, okay, Lillard can take it this year. I'm surprised Clay Thompson, I think he would have been a nice addition, but Jordan for Poole whatever. Too. Yeah, Jordan Poole is another one. So I'm kind of surprised that they went with Randall as uh, the replacement, but it's going to be a fun one, I think, to see Lillard go off here. Hey, you know what, man? He, to me, is one of the more underrated guys, I think, of like the last 10 years. People always talk Curry. You know, they talk about so many other guys, Curry, Katie, LeBron. It's been dominated by those guys, but like Damian Lillard might be the second best scoring point guard of all time. Like the guy puts up 30 every year, man. Like people forget how great he is and how clutch he is. He's a guy that can torch you in the fourth quarter. We saw what he did to Paul George all those years ago scoring from like 45 feet out and like it's like holy shit he did it but that's a guy i think when push comes to shove alino he's got to be more respected more appreciated in this league and this is going to trans transition me to a guy that just has not been respected or appreciated at all this year and that's russell westbrook the guy gets a bell goes to utah and now it looks like he's getting bought out he's a free agent alino would it be the typical villain approach for russell westbrook to pack his bags, stay in the same building, Staples Center, and be on, or whatever it's called now, Crypto Arena. I don't even know what it's called. But going to the Clippers, being with Paul George again and Kawhi, would you want to see that? Or would you rather want to see him go to Chicago, be with Levine and then DeRozan? Yeah, I think he's taking this personal. I think if the Clippers come calling, this is going to be a different story because he's not having that $40 million price tag on his contract. Now he's a free agent. He'll probably suck it up for a couple months and take the minimum uh, veteran exception there. And now it becomes even more of an attractive piece to a team because if you can get him for nothing rather than paying all that money, it changes your view of him as a player because he's joining the team to be probably a six man or a starter. If he goes to the Clippers, I think, Kawhi in 2019 I remember when uh, the big talk of him staying with Toronto was trying to get Masai to trade for Paul George and Russell Westbrook from OKC and he didn't want to do that because of all the pieces they wanted and I think now he's in a position where he has Paul George there all that's missing is Russell Westbrook Westbrook played with Paul George before in OKC so they have that chemistry I think that'd be a nice fit I low-key though want to see him go to the Suns and uh, reunite with KD. I think that would be a nice story. If those two can uh, bury whatever hatchet they have, come to terms, play together on the team. you got Chris Paul there, Westbrook. Both of them can win a ring, and uh, you can see Westbrook and KD play again. I think that would make uh, Phoenix Suns an immediate championship, probably a lock if they get that done there. Yeah, if they get Westbrook, that's basically – they're going to be averaging like 130 points a game. Like they're like, there's going to be no team that can reel it. Maybe the Celtics, if they get hot, maybe they can beat the Suns, but Jalen Brown and Tatum are going to have to really torch them. And we saw last year, Tatum at times in the playoffs just was not good enough. We saw down the stretch in the final, I'm not going to say he was the reason they lost, but there were games where he shot like 20% from the field, had like 12 turnovers. So I mean, Tatum's a guy where he, to me, 
not anymore. Now the front runners for MVP are guys like Jokic, Doncic, Embiid, but you know Tatum is right there. But if you get Russell Westbrook in Phoenix with Paul, with KD, with Booker, with Aiden, it's over. To me, it's a wrap. I mean, it's either going to be they win it handily or there's too many stars and it's not going to work out. So I like what you said perfectly. I agree with you. I think if it's not um, if it's not the Clippers, it's definitely the Suns. And if it's not the Suns, I got to go with either the Heat because Lowry is not happy and apparently they might buy him out or it'll be Chicago where – I think it would be a pretty good fit for him personally. You have him and DeRozan, even with a guy like Zach Levine and Vucevic. It's a pretty good, you know, top-heavy four guys right there. I think they could be a 5-6 seed in the Eastern Conference, maybe not win uh, or go to the conference final, but it would be definitely something that Russ would think about. But I do want to see Russ win a, win a championship. He's a guy that definitely needs one. He, one of the most dominating MVP seasons I've ever seen when he had that 30-point triple-double season. So I absolutely love that take, Alino. I think him going to Phoenix, reuniting with Kevin Durant, seeing him on the same team with Chris Paul too would be pretty funny because they've been <laughs> they've been rivals forever too. So we saw back in the day the Thunder Clippers that was always hard-hitting with Blake Griffin, Kevin Durant, and Westbrook and Paul. Even DeAndre Jordan back in the day was a problem, but – We'll see what happens, Alino. I do think the end of the day, I think Kawhi's going to come calling. I think he held, he holds all the cards here. I think he will get Russell Westbrook, and I think the Clippers, they might eliminate the Lakers in the playoffs. I think that would be pretty damn solid. So, with that being said, we got to move on, finish the day with some positive stuff. We're going to go to the Leafs, and man, oh man, this team right here, they get a blockbuster trade announced last night. They get one of my favorite players, Alino, the last 10 years, and Ryan O'Reilly, the Conn Smythe winner in 2019. What were your thoughts on this trade? Do you think this really puts them over the hump for a first-round exit, or do you see them going back into that uh, going back into that nightmarish scenario again? Because, dude, O'Reilly, we saw with Felino a couple years ago, we gave up the first. This, to me, is a different scenario here. Yeah, my initial thought was like this couldn't wait till the actual trade deadline because now there's not going to be anything. It's going to be boring again where <laughs> there's no trades going on. So I th- like, I think it could be something where it helps you down the middle. Like where's Kerfoot going to play? Like is he still going to be on the wing? Is that where they actually envisioned him? Because I think when they originally traded for him, they had him in that slot where Kadri was for so many years. It didn't work out, but... I think if they can add another winger, I think you look at moving Kerfoot now because O'Reilly can play center, he can play wing. I think he's a lot better fit than uh, a Kerfoot is. If you can have Kerfoot on that third line, it makes things interesting. But I think if you can add another winger and uh, move on from Kerfoot, you might have uh, three lines that could uh, really do some damage. And I think it does help their chances in the first round of the playoffs. Hopefully they can make it to the second for the first time uh, since we were in like grade three. So uh, I want to see O'Reilly come in and really be that leader, an extra leader in the room, kind of like what Spezza was, what Thornton was, like be that guy that you could depend on on the third line. And I think it will work out. I do like it that the picks are spread out. It's not all in one year. So you're going to have to do away with that first rounder. But when you're looking at the team right now, you don't have to get rid of Matthew Neese. So consider that like the first rounder that you keep. 
and it's going to be a prospect that can help you if you don't move him for another massive piece. I think the Leafs are structured nicely. I think Samsonov should be the number one. That's another pick that was kind of like a deadline move, but you did that in the summer. So I like the Leafs' chances here uh, with what they added. Yeah, and again, we talk more and more about the center depth that we never had back in the day, you know, back in 2013 when Phil Kessel was was sniping it and being a point Poor of guy. game. His Our first-line center was freaking Tyler Bozak, and now we got Matthews, Tavares, and O'Reilly down the middle, and even David Kampf, who to me has exceeded expectations since coming here. And now you add Noel Achari and Alino. I'm going to quickly uh, bring back some memories. Noel Achari... 2019 Boston Bruin, he was a freaking problem. So you, you get that that guy, you know, Noel Achari, 20 points in 58 games this year. It's not the greatest, but we've seen all year, Al, you know, our fourth line just has not been consistent at all. We've had guys shuffle in and out of the lineup all year, whether it's Joey Anderson, Wayne Simmons, Kyle Clifford, um, you know, Darjin Sev at one point was on the line. Like Pontus Holmberg, there's just so many guys that are in and out of the lineup. But now with Noel Achari being on that fourth line, I think you keep Aston Reese in the lineup. I think you also keep Pierre Engvall or Wayne Simmons there for that fourth line wing spot. The only thing now, Alino, for me with this team is we need a D. We need to get some, we need either a Gavrikov, a Chikrin if you really want to go all out for. But again, you might have to give up. Kerfoot Robertson and maybe Sandine in that deal. I don't know if that's worth your while, but he does have term. But when you look at this trade, Alino, we're only paying 25% of O'Reilly's contract. We gave up Abramov, who probably was our third or fourth best prospect in our prospect pool. We all know what happened with him. It was very unfortunate. He was going to be very good. But in terms of being on this Leaf team, I don't know what his expectations were for the next five years. Is he going to be... A top six winger? Probably not now with the emergence of Matthew Nice, And you give up Adam Goddard, who's an AHL player. So I think for th- for this specifically, for a guy who, again, this year, minus 24, he's on the blues. The stats don't look too impressive, but he has a con Smythe. His leadership is unmatched. I think you said it perfectly. With It's similar to getting a guy like Spezza and, and Gordon. But here we have a guy in O'Reilly, Alino. I think he still has a lot more left in the tank than when a guy like Thornton came here. So, you know, we saw Spezza when we got him. It ended up going from being a potential rental to a three-year pact. Can you see this being the same thing with O'Reilly? Or do you think this might be a Nick Felino situation where he's here for 30-plus and then he dips in the offseason? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, it might be like a Felino situation. It's all going to depend on, I think, his physical levels like if he goes through the season the playoffs if he's banged up he might look at taking an offer elsewhere for the next few years maybe even goes back to st louis that's also a possibility but i think if the leafs don't get out of the first round i doubt he stays i'll think i think he probably goes to one of the other contenders he takes advantage of being a free agent maybe he wants to go back to colorado or edmonton maybe like a look at those kind of offensive gifted teams that he can slot in and still be effective but i think it's going to come down to how the leafs do and hopefully it's getting out of the first round because i think for too long and how talented this team is they should have been at least in a conference final by now yeah make no mistake about it you finally have the depth to go up against teams like 
Again, you look down in Boston, they have Bergeron, Coyle, Krejci down the middle. You go to Tampa Bay, they got Sorelli, Point, and Stamkos down the middle. So now you finally have, you know, O'Reilly, Tavares, Matthews. That might be the best out of the other two that I mentioned. So there's obviously going to be high expectations. There always is when the Leafs make a blockbuster. But when you get a Conn Smythe winner three, four years ago, the guy's one of the greatest two-way forwards, Alino, we've seen in a long time. He's always been in the Selkie conversation. Matthews is now in the Selkie conversation. So we have three great face-off guys right there. And make no mistake about it, he bolters our second power play unit. You obviously, again, the second power play will probably consist of O'Reilly, Bunting, Kerfoot, which doesn't sound too strong, but we've seen O'Reilly get 30 goals before, before in a season. So if he can bring back that goal-scoring touch, win key face-offs, and Alino, our top penalty kill right now is O'Reilly and Marner, which sounds oh man <laughs> incredible. So I think we're in a good spot here. The fact that we're only paying them 25%, it's a win for the Leafs for sure. And obviously there's uh we we have either Tampa or Boston, but I like our chances right now. I think we're just a defenseman away from being an elite Stanley Cup contender. So um other than that quickly going to maybe talk a little more about hockey. There are still a bit, few big names out there. Patrick Kane still available via trade. Alino, do you see him going to another team or do you think he rides it out in Chicago? Because I have heard that he is interested in New York. They just got Tarasenko. I know if it goes like this, where the retained salary is at over 50%, do you see guys like Lafreniere, Kako, a first, and maybe some someone else going the other way? Or do you think the Rangers won't budge with Patrick Kane. I think the Rangers, if they want to go that route, like, unfortunately, Lafreniere hasn't lived up to expectations. Kako hasn't lived up to expectations. Like, when they got those two, you would think this team would be, like, where Edmonton is and Colorado, like, just unreal offensively. It hasn't worked out. So I think they would be open to trading those guys for Patrick Kane if he, like, re-signs for maybe a year. I don't think they want to give him like a four-year deal, but if you know he's going to re-sign, I think that's a likely scenario. If he goes to the Rangers, you got Tarasenko there, you have Panarin. I think he would be like willing to take a little bit of a salary uh, cap extension on term, but less money. But I think that's something where if you can get Patrick Kane on uh, a Rangers team, that's scary. So I hope that doesn't happen. I think... If there's a team in the West that can get him, it's probably going to be someone with willingness to trade their first-round picks because Chicago's a mess, and they're going to continue being a mess for the next few years. And if I'm Jonathan Taves, I'm looking at teams right away. I'm on the phone with the agent, get him for the best fit because that might be a, a little bit more of a tricky trade to make. So Kane and Taves, I think they should have done this in the offseason season. And they waited till now. That's kind of faith they had in this team, which they shouldn't have had from the beginning. Yeah, and, you know, I, I want to quickly – like, I I see there's a couple bubble teams out there that I do think are still kicking tires on being buyers, man. I think Florida, you know, they're a team that – they weren't in the playoffs for majority of the year. Now all of a sudden they're kind of making a push, kind of like looking at what the Islanders did with Bo Horvat. They weren't really in a playoff spot, but now that they got Bo Horvat, they're arguably right there. They might even be better than Washington. So I think a team like Florida wouldn't surprise me if they somehow packaged maybe Sam Reinhart going the other way to Chicago and you have Patrick Kane go to Florida for maybe 
a year. I mean, you said this two years ago. I I think it would happen. I think it definitely is a good fit. You have Makachuk, Barkov, and Kane. That's pretty deadly too. So uh, what do you think about Patrick Kane maybe going to a bubble team? Do you see it being a team like a Winnipeg or a Florida or maybe a New Jersey? Yeah, I would keep my eye on New Jersey. That team's sneaky. I don't know what happened over there all of a sudden, but ever since uh, Hughes started lighting it up and he's living up to that expectation that guys like Lefrenier and Kako should have been living up to, but Hughes has been insane this year. So I think he would be the attractive piece of uh, Kane maybe being open to waving his no trade to go there. So I would say New Jersey would be one. I think Washington should look at, into it more. I think Pittsburgh should look at ways to maybe <laughs> get creative because those guys can only get you so far. If you can trade Rust and maybe get a Taves, package up future assets and make the cap work, I think they should look into being creative because Crosby, Malkin, they're legends. They're towards the end of their career. So it's better that you just go all in while you can instead of, saying what if we made this trade when they're like 40 years old yeah and i think that's the beauty of this o'reilly trade i think there's going to be a lot of teams out there that look at that center spot on teams as that much more important we saw it it's kind of kind of dwindled a little bit the last couple of years because a lot of the superstar scores let's be honest alino they're they're wingers like kucherov panarin kaprizov kane they're all marner they're all wingers they score a bunch of points the only guy, obviously, that you know leads the league every year is McDavid. Obviously, he's the greatest player that we've seen since Sid. So, but I think here in this situation, another team that I think is another sneaky option for Patrick Kane. Call me crazy, Alino, is the LA Kings. I think you know you have Anze Kopitar, the end of his career. They do have Kevin Fiala, who I think is a hell of a player. You could trade a guy like an Arvidsson. You could trade maybe a Turcotte or a or a Byfield. I think you can get a Patrick Kane, no doubt about it. They're a team, Alino, where, again, the Kings, the last two years have exceeded expectations for me. I thought Vancouver would be where L.A. is, but that just hasn't been the case. So I think there's a lot of suitors, sneaky suitors for Patrick Kane. But I want to end this, talk about two guys who are on top of the trade bait. It's Timo Meyer and Jacob Chikrin. Alino, where do you see both of those guys landing? Yeah, Timo Meyer. If I'm Washington, that's the guy you got to go for. I think you look at Anthony Manta, if you can maybe take some of the cap relief off that, I would package him. You look at Ovi, what he's doing. If you can add Meyer and to that group, I think that's a nice insurance policy for them. And if you're Chikrin, I think you look at the Leafs and what they did and maybe not feel too happy with your chances of going there because they don't have too much assets now for or they'll probably won't be as willing to trade more draft picks. It would have to be a bigger trade. So it's probably going to be somewhere in the Eastern Conference that like a New Jersey type of scenario where you got to hope that the team's going to go in the positive direction and it's not going to go downhill and be just a one-hit wonder type of year for them. So I think New Jersey for Chikrin and Washington for Meyer. Yeah, I think New Jersey gets Timo Meyer, man. I think this is finally going to be it's it's definitely something where if I'm the the Devils, you know, you're in second in your division. Jack Hughes is a Hart Trophy guy right now, 35 goals. He dude, he looks terrifying. Like this is to me a top 10 player all of a sudden in the league. 
we've seen guys jump up this year, like Tage Thompson, Jason Robertson. I think Jack Hughes might be the guy that takes the cake for the biggest improvement. Nico Heischer's 200-foot game. He reminds me of a Kopitar. You get a guy like Timo Meyer, Alino, the guy that can get 35-plus goals. It's I'm not going to say it's over, but they can compete against Carolina. So if I'm Timo Meyer and you see a guy like Nico Heischer, who is, again, Swiss descent, they're both the same. We look at what happened with Tarasenko. Him and Panarin immediately became best buddies. I think if you can extend Timo Meyer, have him have a great relationship with a guy like Nico Heischer, that's terrifying for, for the Eastern Conference. And I think for Jacob Chikrin, when you think about just fit, like there's not a lot of teams that stand out to me, but I don't know why, Alino. I think it's just because of the direction and the season they're having. I see him going to Winnipeg. I don't know why. I just think they have the assets for him. You know, they have Cole Perfetti. They have a they have uh, they have Baron. They have a couple young guys that I think they could easily ship out. Would you risk maybe trading a Nikolai Ehlers? Probably not. But I think when you look at the draft picks, the 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 prospect pool that they have, they have a Vili Hainola, who is a guy that I think is a he could be a top four defenseman. He goes to Arizona. They're just as bad for this season. They can have a greater shot at getting Bedard. I think if Chikrin goes, man, with the way Morrissey's been playing in Winnipeg. Winnipeg's a scary team in the West. I agree. Would be uh, interesting, though, to see when guys like Eric Carlson, where they're playing, because oh. that's a long-term deal. So whoever makes that kind of trade, it's going to probably dictate the market. So I think uh, Trikrin and Carlson, those are two big moves. And if they don't go for a lot and it's just salary retention going the other way, it could be uh, a problem for other teams looking to maximize on their assets right there. Yeah. And for Eric Carlson, the only guy I could think, only team I could think of is Edmonton. But again, if you're Edmonton, are you really risking to potentially trade a Nevin Bouchard to go the other way or a Ryan McLeod? I don't really know. And even a Dylan Holloway, who's a guy who's finally found his footing, you know, in the top six, top nine, if I'm Edmonton, I know Connor McDavid probably wants Eric Carlson, but if they really want to go to the Stanley Cup final and dethrone, you know, a Colorado team, a Dallas team who's been phenomenal defensively all year, they're going to have to have that Eric Carlson of 2016. And I don't really know. I know he's had a phenomenal year, but you said it before the pod. Eventually, he's, his wheels are probably going to start falling off. And if his wheels start falling off at his salary, I think that's going to be cap hell for Edmonton, and that's a huge risk for them. It's going to be an interesting buyout for some of these teams. Do you think, like, some of them, though, like, I look at JVR, like, players like that, should Philly just buy them out, or do you think they're actually going to get something for them? I mean, you could probably get something for them, probably like a second rounder or like a B plus prospect, but. I, I do like the buyout option for him. I think the guy that they're just trying to straight up trade is Kevin Hayes because he was their all-star. You know, he's at 40. He's having a really good season, and I think you could actually get a first-round pick for Kevin Hayes. I think a team, like, again, it goes all the way back to his brother's passing. Jimmy Hayes was a Boston Bruin. I think if Boston Boston doesn't end up getting Jonathan Taves, I think they're going to be really keen on getting a guy like a Kevin Hayes for the postseason run. I think that would be pretty cool. But in terms of JVR, his cap hit is too much. His production has dipped significantly. I think he would be one of the guys for the buyout option for sure. 
What do you think of the Leafs if they get Luke Shen? <laughs> <laughs> Throw it back there. They'll get Luke Shen back, but they won't get Phil Kessel back. Damn it. I think Luke Shen is going to Boston. I think it's a given. I think he just fits their system perfectly. You have Luke Shen with a guy like Hampus Lindholm or Brandon Carlo. That's a freaking nightmare. So as much as I'd want to see a cheap option, like a defensive D, like a Luke Shen on the Leafs, I think Jordy Ben fills that role. I think, uh, you know, Jake Muzzin, we don't know. I think, I don't know if he's playing again, but I don't think we need a guy like Luke Shen. As like, I think Gavrikov and Chikrin are the two D that the Leafs are circling to get. And I've said this for years. I think a Chris Tanev on the Leafs would be also phenomenal. So with that being said, though, we're really happy that the Leafs finally got Ryan O'Reilly. We got the center depth. Make sure you guys watch the Elimination Chamber tonight as maybe Sami Zayn wins. Maybe he doesn't. We have no idea. But even Russell Westbrook, let's keep an eye on that guy. Maybe he's not moving. Maybe he's staying in the Staples Center. Maybe he's staying put but on another team. We have to wait and see. But Alino, this was episode 208. We covered a lot of stuff here. This is In The Zone. Signing out. Till next week.